Before we get started, I wanted to offer a special thanks to the patrons of the podcast. You can support the show and get access to bonus episodes at patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples. Thanks for considering skipping one latte a month to help bring the podcast to mamas worldwide. This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 64. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and this is the fifth and final part of our series on goal setting and intentionality in the new year. Today's chat is with writer and podcaster Haley Stewart. We're chatting about how to read more as a busy mom, taking small steps to live more sustainably and intentionally, and how beauty can draw us out of ourselves and draw us into God. Thanks for listening in today. Here's my chat with Haley. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Amber. I'm excited to chat, and I know uh, some of the women listening are already familiar with you and your writing and your podcast, but could you start us off just by telling us, um, giving us like a quick glimpse of you and your work and your family? Sure. So I'm Haley, and I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Daniel, and we have Four kids, um, ages nine, seven, five, and five and a half months. And we live in Central Texas. I do podcasting. I co-host Fountains of Carrots and The Simple Show. And my blog is carrotsformicklemas.com. And then I have a new book out from Ave Maria Press called The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. So that's kind of who we are and what we do. Great. I have to ask you, how long have you and Christy been friends for? Because like the dynamic that you guys have on your show is just so fun. And I listen to, I love the simple show as well. And you and Tish are great as well. But um, yeah, I was just curious because I know Fountains of Carrots, you've been doing that for a while now. Yeah. So Christy and I just met through blogging. I'm okay. trying to think how many years ago. It was probably like six years ago. And then... Um, got to meet up in person and become real life friends. She lives in Canada and I live in Texas, but we got to meet up um, at some different events and started podcasting. I don't even know how long we've been co- podcasting, like four years, wow, something like yeah. that, four and a half, four and a half years. So yeah, it's been a while. That's so fun. And then how did you connect with Tish? Um. I think just also through blogging and online friends. And then when oh, I moved okay. to Texas, she moved back to Texas soon afterwards. So we got to connect in person. Awesome. Well, I love both those shows. So <laughs> I'm glad you co-host those. Um, so Haley, what comes to mind when you think about how you personally live out the Great Commission as a mom? Yeah, well, as I grew up in, as a Protestant and I think didn't have as much of a fleshed out idea of vocation Hmm. as I was introduced to when we became Catholic. And so the idea that I don't have to go overseas and do missions work in order to be living out the gospel was like totally new information for me. (laughs) And so kind of embracing that you don't have to be in like ministry in an official capacity, like just living out your vocation, loving your family, raising your children, trying to share the light of Christ with them, that like that is a fully like 
gospel driven vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's just been like totally new and exciting for me since our conversion about, um, about the same time that I was becoming a mom that like, oh, like this can be a path to holiness that I'm mm. sharing the gospel, like in the domestic church, it yeah. has just been like a really huge shift for me. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so I wanted to ask you because on your blog, you recently had posted a Catholic reading challenge. And I thought this was so fun, especially for moms who maybe have a goal this year to read more. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of what inspired you to come up with this challenge and what it entails? Sure. So I always, I'm not a list maker in other areas of my life, but I'm a list maker with books. I like to make a yearling reading list for myself, partly just to challenge me to not just read the Anna Green Gables series all through (laughs) again. I mean, I will at some point this year, but just to like branch out and even pick some books that are going to be intellectually challenging for me um, that, you know, won't be a quick read, but that I really, Mm -hmm. really want to get to. And so I thought about, okay, what would be a challenge that everyday people (laughs) could handle in their busy lives. And so I decided to do a challenge for 19 books for 2019. And so there, a lot of them are related to faith or they're written by a Catholic author. So there's different sections like um, written by a Catholic woman or written by a church father, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I gave some suggestions, but then left it open. People can add their own, you know, if something fits into the category, you can throw that in there instead of my, ignore my suggestions. And it's been really fun just seeing, um, seeing people connect on social media over it and share like, here's my book stack. You know, I'm starting to read these things and making connections and just having some camaraderie is is really fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a list of books I want to read this year, but I also have it now kind of in conjunction with that list because I really enjoyed it. And I actually haven't done a lot of, um, like I would say classic uh, Catholic literature reading. Yeah. So like like when you mentioned the church fathers or like writings from saints. So I'm excited to kind of branch out a little bit and, and get more into that. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, okay, you mentioned Anne of Green Gables. I... <laughs> I have not read those at all, actually, but um, my family, we were recently on a trip to England and I picked up um, at a used bookstore, I found this beautiful copy of um, Anne of Avonlea. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have to ask you, do you feel like I can just start there? Or no. Do you- no. No. Okay. <laughs> Okay, no, great. So that's like that's one of the series that like you really have to read at least the first couple in order. So um, okay. I would definitely start with Anne of Green Gables and you can you'll be able to find one at any used bookstore. They'll have a million yeah. copies. Okay, awesome. Good to know. Great. Um, <laughs> and do you have any just uh, tips for busy moms who feel like, okay, I want to read more this year, but I don't really know how to even get into it, like how to put it in my schedule. Yeah. Um, One, I think my number one tip would just be to have a book with you at all times, because there's Mm. just so many moments where we pick, like get our phones out and scroll when we could actually get a book out. 
And mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of like retraining ourselves, carrying a book around you with you in your purse, in the car, so that when you're waiting for your kids to finish up extracurriculars, you can read a few pages. I think for busy, busy moms in particular, you just have to be okay with reading a couple pages and then getting interrupted. Mm-hmm. which is like a new skill. It feels really frustrating yeah. at first, but you just kind of have to be like, okay, if I get a couple pages in, great. If I get interrupted, no big deal. I can pick this up again later. Um, and also I I notice that there's a lot of times where once the kids are in bed, um, if my husband is busy or if he, sometimes he works evening shifts, so if he's gone, it's just so easy for me to pull out Netflix. And I think if we you know, if you're not so exhausted that you can't read, which I totally get that if you are, because we've all been there in the evenings after the kids go to bed, you're like, I cannot even think straight. All I want to do is watch a show on Netflix. But if you're not feeling that exhausted, that is a really good time to just read a few pages before bed. And I think that the more like once you get going, then you get some momentum. Hmm. And the trickiest part is just like getting started. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great. So do you focus on one book at a time? Like when you're reading a book, like you're just trying to get that, you're trying to just enjoy and, you know, finish that book before starting something else? I am terrible about this. I always have tons of books going at once. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I have a harder time getting through nonfiction. I would much rather read a novel. And so Mm. I kind of have to read a novel with a nonfiction book to motivate me. Like, okay, if I can get a few chapters read in this nonfiction book, then I can get back to Kristen Lovren's daughter or like whatever fiction I'm reading because that's mm-hmm. the one I actually care about. Um, and so it helps me to have multiple ones going at once. Also, I will probably misplace whatever book I'm reading and then <laughs> need to like have another option that I've already started right. to jump into. So I'm not like, ah, I can't read anything. Okay. That's great. I love that. Um, Okay. So you mentioned this year you wrote, uh, or I guess last year now, The Grace of Enough. And um, I would love to just ask you about that experience of writing the book, because obviously you you love reading and um, you've been blogging for a while. And uh, the book itself, you know, kind of documents your family's experience of, you know, this radical move to a farm where you're living more simply and sustainably. But I think, didn't you write the book after that year? So it was kind of a reflection on that time. Yes. So we kind of announced that we were making this move from um, Florida to this farm in Texas and like what the whole idea was. And after that, I actually was contacted by an editor who was like, hey, you should write a book about this experience and you could tie it into this or tie it into that. And I turned him down because I didn't want our experience to feel like I was needing to force it into some kind of narrative. Mm, yeah, that makes and sense. And I didn't, I didn't want to feel also like, like I didn't know if we were even going to like living on the farm. I didn't know anything yet. Mm. And so it just seemed like really crazy to be like, yes, let me share my wisdom about our year on the farm, like before I knew anything. <laughs> um, so I said like, no, I just am not in a place to do that. And I'm really glad Um because it then allowed us just to like have that experience and let it be what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started writing, I guess, a good six months after we were done with all of that. Is that okay. right? Yeah. 
I think that's right. So um, I someone else reached out to me around that time. So we'd been off the farm, like we'd finished up our year on the farm. We bought our little house, moved in. And so it was like six months after we moved in that someone reached, someone else reached out to me and it just seemed like, okay, like now I've had enough space from the experience to be able to reflect back on it. Um, I feel like I now have something to share. Mm -hmm. So it was at that point that I started writing. Okay. That makes sense. So you are, um, like living in a small, small town now, I think. And, um, you also, did you write this while you were pregnant? Um, as well? I finished it while I was pregnant. So I wrote most of it before I got pregnant and then I finished it and did edits when, when I was pregnant. Okay. So I'd love to hear specifically about that experience, especially for moms who might have like a big project they're trying to finish this year and are also balancing family life because I think you also homeschool your kids, right? Mm-hmm. So um, with um, homeschooling your kids and like keeping up with your blog and podcast and um, also, you know, working on this big project, could you, um, do you have any like tips for, for moms who might be um, kind of in a similar experience where they have a big project they're working on this year and are still trying to balance you know, all the other things. Yeah. I think that, um, well, my biggest thing (laughs) is that I could not have done that project without Daniel's like undying support Mm. and like all just, he was like picking up all the slack so that I could do that and encouraging me and supporting me. And so like without him doing that, like it just never would have happened. And so I feel like that is a huge thing is supporting spouses, supporting each other in the things that they're passionate about and really trying to help them pursue their passions, I think is just really, really, really crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing is when you're a busy mom and your life is just so full, it's easy to feel like you're constantly getting interrupted and feeling frustrated when you can't complete something or spend time on something. So I think it's important to have like on your family schedule time blocked out for your Mm -hmm. project. So it's like, okay, nap time went terrible. Nobody napped. I didn't get to do what I needed to do, but it's okay because Saturday morning I'm going to get three hours to just go Mm -hmm. to the coffee shop and write. Like it's on the schedule. It's blocked out. And I think that helps with the like frustration factor. So you can remember like, okay, like it's my life isn't an interruption from my book. Like my book is an interruption from my life. Mm. Um, and so kind of keeping that in perspective and also just being willing to say, Hey, this is going to take a while. Um, I'm not in a stage of life where I can just sit down and in a month crank this out. That is not going to happen. And just being okay and realistic about that. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the book itself as well, because um, early in the book, uh, you write about kind of the idea of simplifying our lives and also um, uh, cultivating a love for like our earthly home. And um, I guess I should say this first and foremost, at the end of each chapter, you have kind of like some practical tips for implementing, you know, each, each topic, which I found really helpful, but something you said brought me a lot of peace when I was going through those chapters, because you talk about taking, uh, small steps as like acts of love, how, um, we, 
we don't need to become discouraged if we aren't able to do the perfect thing. <laughs> so I was I was thinking about like this idea of um, like maybe we're bummed that you know all of a sudden we can't like Marie Kondo everything and like start <laughs> buying um, like all locally grown like meats and produce and but that you talk about the idea of like just small steps like taking small steps as acts of love. Um, could you just offer some encouragement for people who might feel like, yeah, kind of overwhelmed by the idea of like starting to simplify and then also starting to like cultivate just like a love for the land? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really easy to just get paralyzed by these like huge aspirations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like we had this cool opportunity to go and live on a farm for a year. Not everybody, like that's not, it doesn't just work out for everybody's life. Like, oh, we can just drop everything and move to a farm for the year and learn <laughs> right. about this. And so I think, but I think sometimes in our head, we feel like, oh, well, what's even the point of trying to build Catholic community in my town if I can't live on a Catholic commune next to an <laughs> abbey or something, you know, like yeah. we get so like stuck. A- and then we fail to see that like, oh, you know what? Inviting a new family at our parish over for dinner, that is like, that's what we can do right now. And that's meaningful. And like these mm-hmm. little acts are are what changes the world. And so I think that, you know, if you're feeling like, oh, well, I can't afford all locally grown, like locally raised meat that I get from the person who raises the meat at the farmer's market. So what's even the point in changing any of our eating habits? And instead going like, hey, well, this isn't in the budget now. So instead, how about Wednesday nights we make a vegetarian meal? Hmm. And then that's like one less day that we're um, needing to to buy meat from the grocery store that we're not like really thrilled about how it was produced. So it's like a little thing that you can do right where you are instead of feeling like, well, I can't do the absolute ideal perfect thing. So what's the point even in trying? Right. Yeah. I love that so much. That's great. Um, And then you also have this beautiful chapter on uh, rediscovering beauty. And I love how you open up uh, with a story from your four-year-old daughter. And um, she says to you, um, let me see here. It says, can we take a walk up the farm road to enjoy the remains of the day? (laughs) And and I just thought that was so sweet. And you said that was like a phrase that she had learned from uh, her grandma that had taught her that. And (laughs) when she wanted to, you know, go see the sunset or whatever. And um, yeah, I just, I just, that really struck me because I love the idea of how our kids like help us to open our eyes to what's to the beautiful sometimes that we kind of pass by. Um, so I wondered uh, what that experience was like for you, especially like being on the farm and seeing that through your kids' eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is kind of like the first Christmas after you have kids, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting again. You know, yeah, like, that's true. Like kind of, it's like lost its magic for you a little bit as you've gotten older. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this is so great because you're seeing it through their eyes. And so I think it was really an awakening to me, mostly just to slow down and that to Mm -hmm. recognize that 
okay, taking time from whatever I'm doing and taking a long walk and just talking about the sunset and the flowers that we see and that that is really, really valuable, that it's not um, earning us any income. It's not like, mm. you know, doing any of these practical things. It's not efficient. It's it's just a time suck, but it's a beautiful time suck that makes us more human. Like this is the point of all of this. And so I think for me, it was mostly a big shift in seeing um, things that we can't put price tags on as the most valuable ways to spend our time. Yeah, I love that. Um, you you also talk about that idea of, which kind of ties into it, um, wasting time together as a family. And um, just, yeah, as you mentioned, it's not like a productivity or an efficiency thing, but just spending time together as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really beautiful. Um, and then in that chapter as well, you talked about a study that was done that I found really interesting in the UK um, that showed that visiting a church or a cathedral was actually a catalyst for the conversion of 13% of Christian teens. And I know uh, Bishop Robert Barron talks about this a lot, and I think you mentioned that in your book as well, about like this idea of leading with the beautiful when sharing our faith. Um, could you talk a little bit about uh, that as well, that innate desire for beauty and maybe like your own experience of, of being drawn into beauty? Yeah. So um, you know, what you're referring to that Bishop Barron talks about is there's beauty and truth and goodness and beauty is kind of the, and these things point us to God, but beauty is the only one that our desire for hasn't been really warped by mm. our secular culture. And so, you know, talking about truth is like a really difficult conversation to have because you're not even like the words you're using don't mean the same things between different people and um, yeah. goodness, you know, people don't want to hear about, morality. But there's like still this opening in the world of of art and just the human heart is still so drawn to beauty. And so um Bishop Barron was saying like this could this is like a really important form of evangelization is by as you said leading with the beauty. And then ideas about truth and goodness can follow that because they're all going to be connected. Um and so yeah, I loved that story about the the teens just like visiting a cathedral, just being so overwhelmed by that. I think that we get so wrapped up in um, wanting to be relevant to whatever is happening culturally and wanting people to be so comfortable in the church. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we just like we want people to just like walk in and feel comfortable. And I think that's kind of the opposite of what we should be doing because I think when you walk into a church, you should feel like you are in another world. Like you have Mm -hmm. walked out of the world on the street into this like supernatural space and it shouldn't like really feel comfortable. It should completely draw you out of yourself and Mm -hmm. have you be like drawn to God by just how beautiful and otherworldly it is. And so I think that that is just really, really important to remember, especially I think for millennials, we are very 
attuned to when we're being marketed to. And so I think when religion feels like, oh, we're trying to make it like hip to you, millennials, <laughs> it, it is very off-putting for our generation. Yeah. Like we don't like that. And so to just say, hey, this is just honestly what our tradition is. Like here it is in all of its beauty and it's going to make you uncomfortable and it's going to feel different than the rest of the culture. And here it is. And I think that that is actually what's going to be really attractive. Hmm. Yeah. Was that your first experience with Catholicism or um, was it more of like the trying to market to you kind of experience? Yeah, I think I had been drawn to the beauty of the tradition for a long time and then had to kind of get over misconceptions I had. And that happened in college as I was really reading um, theology and reading the early church fathers and seeing you know, what the church really taught and how that was different from my Protestant tradition and, and you know, understanding church history and when these different ideas were coming into play. Um, but I was very drawn to the beauty of the church. I mean, even just like the beauty of the way a rosary looks, where you just look at mm-hmm. it and you think like, that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the beauty of church architecture, the beauty of sacred music. Um, And I think the beauty of um, Catholic art, particularly Catholic novels, that it, you know, it makes you uncomfortable, the good ones do, but Mm -hmm. that the ideas are just so beautiful that it's breathtaking. And it almost feels like, well, could it not be true if it's this beautiful? Mm Yeah, I love that so much. And I, that idea um, that you talked about of like stepping into something otherworldly, like that resonates with me so much. We, my, my family and I started attending um, a Latin mass maybe like four years ago. And um, it was that experience that first time that, you know, I had walked into the traditional Latin mass and everything was just, um, yeah, other otherworldly, you know, um, the incense and the music and just the sacredness of it. Um, yeah, just that really resonates with me. Um, I wanted to ask you about another idea that you talk about later in the book, which is just the idea of like neighborhood and uh, com- having community. And I, I loved this section so much because it reminded me of an experience I had this year with my husband around um, Thanksgiving. And we were actually, we we're traveling for Thanksgiving. So we were going to be celebrating uh, Thanksgiving actually the day after. And so we got home from our trip and, um, you know, I had uh my turkey, we had everything ready to go. And then I realized that we didn't have a roasting pan. And for some reason, I thought we had one. We just, we in our move, I guess we didn't have one. And so, you know, I turned to my husband and I'm like, can you run out and like grab a roasting pan? I was thinking from the store or something. And he said, well, why don't I just go and ask the neighbors if we can borrow theirs? <laughs> Cause they probably have it out still probably washed from yesterday. And like, it's just something I didn't even think of to just like go next door and ask one of our neighbors if we could borrow a roasting pan. And, um, he's done that a couple times. He's got like this great inclination towards that. Like, oh, let's just go <laughs> ask if, if we can borrow an egg. We don't need to like run out to the store. And, um, 
so I I just lo- love that idea, and I feel like almost like a retraining of my brain maybe needs to take place because I'm used to kind of like a self-sufficiency and not like a, it's okay to, you know, rely on a neighbor or like ask a neighbor for something or even get to know a neighbor, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Could you talk about like your experience with that? And um, yeah, maybe even like, has that always been your experience? Because I know you're in a neighborhood now where you try and foster that. But um, yeah, yeah, your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I remember like even when I was a little girl that like it wasn't weird to run over to the next door neighbor and be like, hey, I need a cup of sugar for something. Like I remember that not being weird, but then sometime between then and now it got weird. Like everybody stopped doing that. Uh And so I feel like most of my time growing up that was not the experience I had. Um, and then when we were in Florida, like we knew the name of one of our neighbors, but like mm-hmm. that was it. We didn't even know anybody else's name, which is weird. Like they're the people you live right next to. Um, and so then living on com- in community on the farm, I think really helped kind of foster or, or like that shift that you're talking about, that perspective shift where you have to kind of retrain your brain to think about these things differently that, you know, I don't have to do this all myself. They, I, we could ask to borrow their lawnmower if ours breaks down and they'll probably say yes. Like it's probably yeah. not a big deal, you know, that that's okay. And it's okay if they need something and come over and knock on our door and kind of just fostering that, making that normal because that is normal. Like that's not weird, but mm-hmm. we think of it as weird because I think we're so individualistic and have this idea that, well, like this is your deal. You take care of it. Um, instead of we're all in this together, we can share yeah. things, we can help each other. This is good. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, and then another section uh, of the book I want to ask you about towards the end of the book, which I think we can probably um, all relate to as as moms or or dads who are who are listening to this, where you talk about um, authentic love calling for sacrifice. And in this section, I, I love what you write because you talk about like, can you imagine if like the final chapter of a saint's life, God says like, "Wow, thanks for your service. You've done your time. Now you can just go and enjoy like." cocktails in Aruba. And it's like, <laughs> no, like I, you can't imagine the final chapter of a saint's life being like that. Um, and so I was just thinking about this idea of like how the our lives are not our own. And um, especially in like marriage and motherhood. Um, so I wanted to ask you about just that, like your thoughts on your vocation and what you've kind of learned in that realm. Yeah, well, I, I think that motherhood, especially when openness to life is part of the equation, is like a wild ride. You know, like we <laughs> yeah. are on this wild ride. It is an adventure. And it's hard to stay in the like under the illusion that you're in control. Hmm. I think that like a vocation to to marriage and 
motherhood really remind you all the time that like you're not in control of your time. You're not in control of what's going to happen next. Like you are along for the ride and you're just asked to be faithful. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it's definitely helped my spiritual life to know that like, I don't know what's around the corner. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have healthy kids next year. You know, there's, you just know that there, something could happen. You like, we're Mm -hmm. on this journey and nothing is really guaranteed for us. We just have to like take, put one foot in front of the other. And I think that I, I don't know. I think I was really young when we had our firstborn, and I don't know if that's why I was so dumb about stuff or if it was just me being dumb. <laughs> but like, I had this idea that okay, if I do all these things, then I'll get like this kind of kid. And it just started mm. out with like, well, if I like obey all these rules that these books say, then the baby will sleep through the night. And like, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, just yeah. really over and over. This isn't like a machine that I put a certain input into and then get a certain result from. Mm -hmm. It's so much more complicated than that. I'm not always in control of the outcome. And I think that that understanding kind of pours into other aspects of our life where we realize, oh, you know what? Um, This was an illusion too, that I was actually in control of this. Like God is always the one that's in control. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's been huge for me spiritually is to motherhood forcing me to acknowledge that God is in control. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Um, So Haley, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life the last year? Yeah. So the last year I was pregnant for seven months of that year. (laughs) Um, And I always have rough pregnancies. This was probably my hardest one as far as, um, nausea and vomiting and all of that. Um, Mm. I'm like out of commission for several months and I'm pregnant even with prescription drugs to help with the nausea. It's really, really, really bad. So um, I feel like I really had to go through the spiritual work of not being able to do anything, you know, like feeling Mm. kind of broken and useless and having to be taken care of by other people, even like having to be taken care of by my children. Mm. Like my nine-year-old was like, he was so good about like, I'm going to make you a snack. Like I'm going to bring you some water. What do you need? And it's like very humbling to have to be taken care of by a nine-year-old. But just like people stepping in and bringing meals to my family when there's like, I couldn't even get out of bed, much less be in the kitchen with food smells. Um, And so just kind of being reminded again and again that it's not what I do that makes me worthy of love and um, like just seeing that again and again and that we are like in within my family and then within like the greater, um, greater church family, like God's family, that it's okay to be in a place where you, like you have nothing to give and people are just pouring love out on you mm-hmm. that it's like very humbling but um i think important for us to acknowledge that like that isn't what makes us worthy it's god's love that makes us worthy and being willing to both take care of other people and be taken care of when we need that mm-hmm. beautiful i love that 
And what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Oh, goodness. Um, I really, really like our living room couch. Yes. <laughs> like that's where I spent so much time when I was pregnant. But I just love, like, I love our living room. We have um, a big painting of Our Lady by Botticelli, just a print, obviously, mm. um, of our um, fireplace. And so you can see it from the couch. And um, that's kind of the space where, like, we end up doing school, and that's where we do bedtime read-alouds. Like, that's where we sit and we pray the rosary. And so it just feels like, I don't know, where we do a lot of our living and very, like, cozy. And, um, yeah, I think that's, like, my favorite spot to be, especially after the big kids go to bed. I'll usually just nurse the baby and snuggle on the couch and read or watch something until Daniel gets home from his evening shift. And so I feel like that's just a spot where I always feel really happy. Yeah. I love that. That's great. I think that's probably my favorite part of my house (laughs) as well. And a few (laughs) other moms have mentioned that just like a sitting place in like a main, like living room area, just where life just kind of seems to happen, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I love that. And, uh, what have you been loving recently? Trying to think of like, well, I reread Kristen Lovren's daughter because I'm writing a piece about it. And Oh, great. My this husband probably, read that last year and he, oh he loved it. Yeah. It's so good. It was probably my fourth reread. Wow. And it was still so good. Like it just oh, awesome. blew me away all over again. And I just can't, like, I cannot stop thinking about it. I keep like casting a 40 hour mini series in my head. <laughs> and so if you know any TV producers, send them my way. I have like the whole thing set up for them. <laughs> on a silver platter. Um, and so I feel like that's been big lately. I've been very into hot chocolate. This is our one chilly time of year. In Central Texas, do you guys um, get do you guys get any snow at all, or not really? Not every year. Last year we got two or three little snowfalls. We haven't got any this year, so it really just kind of depends on the winter. We've had a pretty mild winter this year. Um, it's always very exciting, and the whole town like shuts down because nobody knows what to do <laughs> when, when it snows. It's not the usual. Um, so yeah, that's. A couple of things. Also, I feel like my, my littlest one is five and a half months, almost six months, and is just the sweetest, sweetest little baby. Mm. And so I feel like I'm just soaking up, like just spending so many hours on the couch, just like snuggling her. Even yeah. like she'll fall asleep and I just don't even want to put her down. I just let her sleep on my shoulder for hours. Um, and so I feel like I'm just really, um, really loving not being pregnant and really loving spending time with her. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I I don't know if you had this experience at all, but I, so I'm in my third trimester now and I kind of feel like, um, you know, my next youngest, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I feel like I've just been wanting to like snuggle with my two-year-old all the time because it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a new baby soon. And I just feel like I want to make sure I just like have this time with my other baby right now. (laughs) 
Totally. So I don't know if yeah. you felt that with your kids at all, but um, I just, yeah, I'm looking forward to the new baby, of course, but I just like now have been thinking, I just need to appreciate this time now with, with my other youngest. So I definitely felt like that with my two closest spaced babies. Oh, so yeah. my, my middle girls were about 19 months apart and I definitely felt that in a big way. But then this time my, the youngest before the baby was, you know, she was five and some change when oh, the baby sure. was born. And so she she had been the baby for a little bit too long, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like needed that like little push. And she's still kind of she loves, loves, loves the baby, but is still kind of working out the kinks of not being um not being the one who gets to throw fits about everything all the time. <laughs> right. So she's like getting used to that. So, um, <laughs> but I definitely felt that with my, when my girls were so close together that, oh my mm. goodness, you're still a baby. I can't believe there's going to be another baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I always forget how small they are until, <laughs> until they're born. And it's like, oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's been making your life a little easier? I feel like I usually have no mom hacks, but today I do have a mom hack Yay, just because great. I've been doing what everybody has been telling me to do for like my whole life, which is like go ahead and prep meals ahead of time or, mm. or like do make ahead meals to make yeah. your life easier. And now I'm like, oh, hey guys, it's so much easier. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. It takes me a long time to catch on to things or I'm just dumb and think I know better and I don't. Um, so I've been doing make ahead baked oatmeal every week, like enough for two or three mornings oh, okay. and make ahead like breakfast casserole, like with eggs and cheese and sausage and veggies. Um, just so that way, like we get up and there's just like, especially since mornings are dicey with a little baby in the house, like you don't know what time the baby's going to get up. Like, is the baby going to get up super early or all the other kids going to get up? Like, and we live in a small house. And so it's like, if you're cooking in the kitchen, everybody's going to be awake. Yeah. Um, so having that done ahead of time and just heating up in the morning and having like a healthy breakfast ready has been making my life so much easier, Amber. <laughs> That's so great. So do you, like when you make the casseroles and stuff like that, do you just keep them in the fridge? You do it like once mm -hmm. a week or something and then, okay. I'll do like, I'll do like one day I'll do the baked oatmeal and there's usually enough for three days. And then another day I'll do the breakfast casserole and that's like two or three mornings worth. Okay. That's great. I love that. Especially because mornings can be totally chaotic. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that it's not even just like dinner planning. You know what I mean? It's something like prepping yourself for breakfast. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think also then I'm not tempted to just like leave the breakfast dishes and then have like a ton, you know, because you've been cooking and so there's like pots and pans to clean out. Right. Um, and then it's like those have piled up and it's time to make lunch, but you haven't done the breakfast dishes. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being terrible at dishes, but that's helpful too because it's like, oh, we just have, you know, five plates to wash. Right. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, Haley, thank you so much for um, chatting with me. I really appreciate it. If people want to uh, find the book or um, read more about you, where do you usually like to send people for that? Sure. Well, to read more of my work, you can go to carrotsformicklemas.com. And Micklemas is spelled like Michael, M-A-S, like St. Michael's Mass. Um, 
And then you can find The Grace of Enough on Amazon. And I also, you can find this on my blog. I have a weekly email newsletter, and that's kind of where I'll send out links to whatever podcasts we've done that week, any like freelance writing I've done, new blog posts, like all that sort of thing is in one place for people. So they can just have that in their inbox once a week and click through to what they're interested in. Um, And there's a sign up for that on my blog. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much. Let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time to chat today. I pray for um, all the women listening that um, you would just be with them in their tasks and work for the day um, and their time with their family. And Jesus, I pray that you would just give us um, a heart to love you in, in all that we do today and to practice your presence and and remember you throughout the day. Jesus, we love you and um, we offer this all to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi friends, I loved what Haley was sharing about how seeing the farm through her kids' eyes was an awakening to slow down and that during that year she was able to more fully appreciate things that weren't necessarily earning income or being efficient, but experiences that make us more human. That's been great for me to reflect on when there's a phone call that needs to be made or laundry that needs to be folded and my two-year-old says, mom, can you hold me? Just being able to say yes to that moment and to that experience that isn't efficient or monetarily valuable but is the most valuable thing I can be doing then. Thanks for listening in today, friends. You can find the show notes for today's episode at diapersanddisciples.com or by clicking through in your podcast player. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless.